This episode of the Doctors of Running podcast is sponsored by Running Warehouse. Rabbit's new outdoor collection is made for the trail by trail runners. Inspired by time spent in the mountains, Rabbit's new line has been crafted and put through the test by elite athletes on some of the hardest trails and races in the world. It's durable, breathable, thin, and of course, incredibly soft. With tons of color options and stylings for every environment, there's guaranteed to be something that will fit your next trail running needs. We've been huge fans of Rabbit's Easy T-shirts since we first reviewed them a few years ago. They remain some of our favorites and are still super soft and comfortable hundreds of miles later. Our chief editor, Matt Klein, is also a lifelong fan of their High Country collection, which blends office-ready apparel with running-quality fabric for those looking for run-commute attire. Tried and tested by our team since 2020, if you're looking for high-quality running clothes built to last, look no further than Rabbit. You can find Rabbit's new trail line and more by visiting runningwarehouse.com today or checking out the link in our description. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Doctors of Running podcast, where we, a group of doctors of physical therapy, discuss the art and science of running and the stuff that we put on our feet. Today at the roundtable, we have David Salas, Matthew Klein, and myself, Nathan Brown. We are having a fun episode today, um, and what's been making these episodes really fun has been the growth of one of the things that we, we just love getting to get together and talk about this stuff because um, it helps us all grow and learn, but we've also been loving the growth of the podcast itself, so thank you for to all of you over the last couple of months who have joined us on this kind of journey of learning together. And one request we do have that would really help us out, we try not to request this too often, um, but if we could have you go on to wherever you listen to your podcast and just rate and write a small review, um, that goes a long way in helping this thing continue to grow, which gives us more liberties to keep making this podcast. So we just, again, we really thank you for coming along on this journey. And if you're willing to take, you know, 10 seconds and and get a review out there for us, we'd really appreciate it. So thank you all so much. Uh, So today we're going to be starting with our subjective and our subjective is what is the biggest trend that you're curious about in the running shoe sphere or the running training sphere, whatever sort of trend you're seeing in the running world um, that you're most curious about? or most skeptical of. Um, So we just want to get your thoughts because I think it's going to help launch us into a whole new way of doing a couple episodes. And that's what we're doing today. We are starting our first of the buy or sell episodes that we're doing. So we're going to be bringing up um, different running shoe trends, running philosophies and practices as they relate to running shoes. And we're going to gauge on whether these are things we should hang our hats on uh, and if we should buy or sell the idea. So uh, before we start though, David and Matt, it's good to be with both of you. Um, give us a 20-second update on kind of what your running journey is like right now. Uh, where are you at in a training cycle or just what, what's it looking like? David, you can start. Yeah, just kind of uh, exiting a training cycle, so to speak. Uh, been building up quite a bit over the last five, six weeks. I'll be racing a half marathon next weekend, uh, seven days from today. So we'll be entering that soon. Um, so we'll be tapering this week and that's, that's what we're up to. Great. Matt, what about you? Yeah, I'm still in a kind of an ongoing building session. Uh, the last couple of years have been a little challenging between doing too many things at once and having that kind of impact my training and racing, but I am getting back to doing really hard workouts, uh, enough where you're kind of feeling like really gassed at the end of workout and going like, Oh gosh, I don't know if I can handle this or hold this. So I'm just getting back to that point, getting some speed in my legs, which is actually going really, really well. I think I, it's really fun 
to be training myself and just kind of experimenting with stuff and going, let's see what happens here. Let's experiment with this. So things are going really, really well. I just did 10 miles today, which is, believe it or not, my long run and is the longest run I've done a little bit. So yeah, just enjoying building back and being healthy and uh, just still getting constant miles in. Good. And for the viewers, please go and comment and show Matt some love. We need to get this guy racing again. It's been a yes. while. It's been a good minute it's since true. I've seen you tell hey, a line. So yeah, it's. I thought about it the last couple of weeks, but then there's always something in terms of like another paper I got to get done, or I'm in the lab on we- weekends are like are like prime biomechanics lab time. As several people in Southern California have been nice enough to be subjects for my method section, which is done, and we'll Woo-hoo. be starting the full study uh, fairly soon here. But yes, plus I'm gonna have a kid really shortly, so that you know. It'll be different. It'll be different, right? It'll be different. Nate, Nathan, how's your training going? Yeah, right now I'm not training for anything. I'm base, just getting some base in, trying to lift weights a little bit more than I have been. Um, which my body's kettlebells? like, what do you? I did. I got a. I got a heavier kettlebell and I you mad at my house, but the clinic that I work in is a gym as well. So I also have yeah. a full gym that I can use when I'm at work. So. Um, yeah, it's been it's been good, but my body's like, what is this lifting thing? So my body feels different when running right now, but it's been, yeah, it's pumped, been good. But correct me if I'm wrong. Both Nathan and David ordered heavier kettlebells, and hopefully mm-hmm. they're starting to use them. Which oh, I use them. I know there's like big big fads around this. It's it's just a really simple, nice, heavy thing to occasionally lift, right? You don't need that much, but you know you can make some really good changes in your your musculoskeletal system. But off topic, yeah, that's good stuff. All right, so let's get into this uh, segment here, buy or sell. We're going to be talking again about different trends, philosophies, ways to think about shoes. And the first one that we're going to talk about is buy or sell shoes with 40 plus millimeters of stack height. So um, when we say that, we mean shoes again that have enough foam underneath where they're you know, their amount of foam is more than 40 millimeters in the heel. Um, and David, can you talk a little bit about your thoughts on this, buy or sell, but also why 40 millimeters is used for, for people who might not know, like why 40 millimeters that can be arbitrary. Um, so, so why are we kind of talking about that number and what are your thoughts on it? Yeah. So 40 millimeters, a very arbitrary number, but that's a number that was established by world athletics to be legal in competition. So that number wasn't really significant until about a couple of years ago. No, no one really cared about the stack height beyond 40 up until that point. It's kind of like putting a big red button saying, don't push the button. And so <laughs> everyone decided they're going to push the button. Um, with that said, um, what was the question again? <laughs> about the 40? Uh, Is it the so buy, are we buy, 40 s- buy or selling? Buy or selling? Yep. Am I buying or selling? Yeah. yeah. I think mine's a very nuanced, uh, and I promise I won't do this for every question, but I'm going to buy for half of it and sell for half of it. My main reason, I think it's a buy for shoes that help you with a little bit of up-tempo work, long runs, efforts that might save your legs a little bit in these big training cycles, especially if you're training for something like a marathon or ultra marathon. I think there's a great area for that. Shoes like the Asics Super Blast is one great example. Um, I've got it right here. And then another one being the Adidas Prime X, if your ankles can handle it. Those shoes have some pop to them. They have, they're relatively lightweight for how much shoe there is. I mean, they're really lightweight for how much shoe there is. And they can be wonderful training companions, especially for some of those longer efforts. 
where I sell is actually in the daily training line of things. I'm not for them. I think when you go so high above the ground, I actually wrote about this in a DPT section recently, um, talking about proprioception and intrinsic musculature of the foot, hips, knee, ankle. Everything has to stabilize so much more. And like maybe the person feels fresh on some of those easy days, whereas they wouldn't have otherwise. But like 40 millimeters is plenty of foam. And I notice, just anecdotally speaking, I don't have any quantitative uh, numbers for this, but I've seen so much more foot problems over the last year and a half than I've ever seen. And it's almost always associated with these super high compliant shoes. And it's like you get them out of it and you put them in something like a Saucony Ride or Nike Pegasus, anything that's not a super high compliant shoe, and they end up doing just fine. And it's uh, it's a small switch, but it ends up not aggravating the foot as much because it doesn't have to work as hard, whether it's the foot, hip, knee, etc. I know a lot of people love these shoes, and I know it's in as far as the grander scheme of the market, most people are going to say buy, but I feel like there's a tipping point for mm. daily miles. Matt, what do you think? I'm kind of in the same camp. I'm I'm a pretty solid buy. I really enjoyed a lot of these shoes. The Super Blast. Uh, I mean, I have 200 miles on this thing, and I still haven't blown through the outsole. So I'm really enjoying the miles. I've loved. The, the Nimbus 25 was really good. I think there's some things that need to change with the upper, but it's crazy to see Nimbus, Cumulus, stuff like that. This, the, these, what should be normal trainers all of a sudden get up to super plus stack heights. Again, I, I find them comfortable. They seem to be working really, really well for me, but I'm still, I think it's a cautious buy that we have to remember these are tools. And I find that when I train in these too much, I start craving something like ground feel and something a little bit lower. So I still walk almost everywhere in my zero shoes. I don't necessarily use them for running, right? But I do use them to kind of balance this stuff out. So it is still a solid buy for me. It's just going to depend on the person. It's not going to be a buy for everyone. Yeah, I'm I, I'm hearing you guys. I think I'm slightly on the overall like sell side, um, partially because I think some of the I mean, like, what's our goal with it is kind of my question, right? So, like, part of the stack height has been to take more advantage of the foam and to be able to go through a higher amount of compliance and resilience to get these, like, mechanical improvements. That's where, like, this high stack kind of started when it comes to, like, the performance side of things is getting these, get more stack underneath so you can really compress and come out of the foam. And it's like, do you really need that for training? Like you were kind of, both of you guys were saying. Um, But also, do we have any evidence to say that higher is better? And maybe these companies are doing that research and they're seeing like, oh yeah, when we do add five millimeters of stack to whatever or 10, we do get a better economy benefit because of maybe a longer leg length or we get more foam compliance or whatever it is. But as of what I know, based on what I've been able to see and what we see as the public, um, we... You know, I, I just don't see the point of it, I guess, a little bit. Um, that said, Matt, I'm with you. I love the Super Blast, and I've got a ton of really good miles on that shoe. It's not that I don't like it, but it also, like, adds, for some shoes, like, I think a good case study is kind of the SC Trainer, added a lot of weight to this shoe, and they came out with version 2, and they dipped back down under the 40. So, like, they kind of did it once, and they're like, actually, we don't really need it. Is that, Obviously, they made a decision that they didn't need it to be above there, so I think that's an interesting case study to bring something down underneath. I'd like to reference David gets all credit for this comment a couple of weeks ago where he was talking about, hey, do we need to get even crazier super shoes? And he said, David, correct me if I'm wrong. It's basically like, yeah, I don't think we need crazy advances right now. We just need to refine 
what we have at the moment, right? It's like you're skipping too far ahead. We've just gotten that a lot of shoes come into 40 millimeter. Like I know we could talk the Keanu just got to a 40 millimeter heel stack height, right? So the shoes totally change. I think before we start going beyond that, I think David was right going, why don't we refine where we are? And I think the SC Trainer V2 is a great example. I haven't tried it yet, but kind of bringing that down and trying to keep that weight still like within a within a reasonable level is key because once you start getting too too massive like the thing's just going to be clunky and heavy so it's kind of a balance so i think yeah i think it's a kind of still between it will depend on how it's executed but i'm curious to see how the market starts shifting but a kudos to david and i think that comment's still really relevant of refine what you have first (laughs) before you go crazy yeah and if and if somebody could come out and show me hey here's the either physiological or recovery or whatever type benefit or like decreased fatigue within a certain run, like show me some benefit of this inc- of increased stack, then sure I'll, I'd come on board. But right now I don't, I don't see anything. So I'm like, let's, let's sell it and, and move on to something just do it, doing well with less, but it's not like 40 again, 40 is this arbitrary number that has been, and maybe, maybe someone knows more than, than we do that makes it feel less arbitrary, but it definitely, definitely has set a, something for marketing to work off of at least to say, Hey, look at this shoe is illegal or whatever. So any other thoughts on this one from you, you all? I, I, I do think you got to be careful of extremes. The prime X is a very interesting shoe and I am super excited to try version two because it looks crazy and I don't have nothing else to say about it. That said, when you get up to those really high levels, you got to be careful because you can't stabilize it, right? So if you get to a certain point, you're risking things like legitimate injuries, like ankle sprains and problems like that. So just because you get higher doesn't mean more protection necessarily. There are some other risk factors you have to pay attention to. So it's all, again, about balancing all the components of the shoes. You have to be careful. I I don't know if we really totally mastered that yet including weight so we'll see yeah cool all right so we have correct me if i'm wrong matt you were a what buy sell i was a cautious uh buy a buy yeah i i was a sell david was a buy sell yeah <laughs> so he's got a little bit of halfsies so cool i, I get out i guess i would go like tw- like 25 percent oh guess. no it's I all or nothing no, except all right gets forget to split it. it all right bye <laughs> all right uh, this is actually really hard for us because we are PTs, and so everything has, as David said, like nuance. But we're going to try really hard to be uh, to be dichotomous here because dichotomous thinking is the way to go. That's good. Definitely, for us, yeah. Right? Our students love that. Huh? It doesn't exist. <laughs> okay, so here we go. Buy or sell three D foot scans to help you select the right shoe. Matt, why don't you start? I that's a hard sell, uh, not just from experience, but also from the evidence, right? You're trying a lot of these 3D foot scanners and somebody correct me if I'm wrong and there's something new, but I've been working with these things since I was in college and they are static measurements tools. They only look at what your foot is doing as you're standing, which oftentimes doesn't relate at all to what's happening in motion, even during walking or running. Your foot is a dynamic structure. It changes volume, it changes shape, and it needs to do that for optimal function. Your bones of your foot need to be able to move, spread out, do all this stuff. A 3D foot scan doesn't do that. It doesn't take into account personal comfort, which is one of the few things that we found that actually has like a a big impact on what like people finding shoes that work for them, like the footwear comfort scale, like the run cat, stuff like that. So it sounds good in theory, but I think when actually, unless you're going to do one that actually watches it, that gets you in motion, I have the hard sell on these because the evidence also shows they're kind of not great for predicting things. 
actually not great at all. Yeah. David, what do you think? I'm going to say bye. Here's why. Go for it. Why? Go for it. Hot take. So taking a look at the reason why for a buy on a 3D scanner is it can help guide you about what your foot looks like from a model. Not necessarily dynamic, not necessarily to choose a shoe based off of that model, but it gives you an idea of a certain last type. Like maybe you didn't know your foot was really wide. Maybe you didn't know it was really narrow. That doesn't mean that you're going to go pick a narrow or a wide shoe, but at least it gives you some information to go off of. So if you're someone that doesn't, know anything about your foot, it might be nice to have a little bit of guidance from that realm and then have that open mind to go try those shoes, find what's comfortable for you, make an educated decision on your shoe. In no way am I saying because the scanner said so, that's why I'm buying this shoe. It's not a correlative or causative you know, type of thing, but you can use that as a piece of information to help make an educated decision. So for me, I think it's actually a buy, but it does come with some uh, some reservation. And the reason why is because a lot of times they're going to say, well, your foot type looks like this, therefore you should be in a shoe like this. That's not what I am saying. Do not do that. I want just more so for more information to make an educated decision. You still got to try everything on. You still got to make sure it's comfortable. You still got to make sure it works with your mechanics. Yeah, I, I think I'm kind of with David there. I'm, I was leaning towards uh, buy as well on this but not because I disagree with anything that Matt said. I completely agree with everything there. I say buy if. So I buy this if you live in a town that has a local shoe store that has one of these. I'm not going to sit, sit there and say that stepping on this 3D scanner to give you 10 shoes to try out first uh, based on like maybe how wide or narrow your foot is, is going to hurt you. I think it can give you at least some somewhere to start if that 3d and i guess i have less experience with these 3d scanners so matt you can you can rebuke me here but like thinking about if this 3d scanner says oh you have pronation and you have a flat arch and therefore you need this sort of control i would say sell on that i would buy on if this says hey you just have a bigger volume foot get a bigger shoe that that's where i would buy it if it's trying to say what type of shoe you need underfoot i sell it 100 percent. what do you What's your response it, there? See, that's the problem is a lot of these devices, people will extrapolate things that you can't extrapolate. Like, oh, you have a lower arch, therefore you need to have this motion control shoe. It's like, yeah, that's static foot measurements are not correlated at all to what how your foot moves, right? You'll have somebody with a low arch that's extremely stiff and rigid that if you post them up, this actually causes them some problems and vice versa, right? Where you have somebody with a very high arch, but it is very flexible and they have poor control over it. So I think, yeah, it depends on how you're using. The problem is most of the time that is how it's used is, oh, your foot fits is, sh- is shaped exactly like this. So here are the only kind of shoes you can wear or you you have a low arts or a low, this. You'd have to have these, whereas there it's a lot more complicated than what just your foot shape is because how like mobile is your foot can you adjust into the shoe what's your how sensitive is your nervous system at that point can you handle something pressing in your arch can you not i think there's a lot more nuance and if you're going to put the shoe on anyway to learn this like why do you my argument why do you need this i'm saying this for running stores right why would you buy this thing that's often tens of thousands of dollars when you could probably be teaching people a deeper lesson about their foot but i do hear david on and Nathan, like, you know, if you didn't know your foot was a wide, that might be a nice piece of information and go, yeah, you really shouldn't be buying these narrow shoes. And that might explain why your foot's going numb. So I can see that, but I'm still a hard sell on these things. 
Yeah, and I guess if I if I change my perspective, so again, my yeah, my buy was if you're someone who has a local shoe store who has it and it tells you if your shoe if your foot's big or small, um, then I'm like, sure, buy, go use it. It's free. Like that's part of their services for you. If I'm a shoe store wondering should I buy a 3D scanner, I would say sell. Like don't don't buy that. There's better investments of your time through education for your staff and like lots of other things than I'm a sell. So I guess depending on the lens I put on it, it's a buy or a sell. Does that, does that kind of make sense and line up? And again, also if, if you're new to running and you rely on a 3d scan to tell you the type of shoe you should have categorically, I also sell that idea. I agree. I, I think it's a piece of imaging. I look at it kind of similar to an MRI in that it's a static image of something and <laughs> there's much more to it, right? And just because imaging says one thing, functionally it could be very different. But it's information, and it's something that we know that we didn't know before. Yep. Outside of any clinical testing or orthopedic stuff, yeah. Yep. Matt? Call me old school. This is where I get (laughs) irritated. I was in a running store, not close, not Monrovia, so not snail's pace, but I was in another running store just kind of checking things out one day, and they are using the foot scanning stuff. And I asked the person who was doing this, going, do you know what a Brannock device is? And he had no idea what that was, which is for – do you two know what a Brannock device is? No. Nope. I do. Oh, you guys. So you've probably <laughs> seen one. I promise you. It's when you went into the old like old oh, stores oh, and yes, they had that little yes, metal yes, piece. Yes, yes. The metal yeah, thing. Yeah. Of course. Okay. That is called a brand those device, things. right? Oh, yeah. So you, those, it, that has width on it. It has length on it. And you know how much they cost? $65 on Amazon. You know why? Because I just checked. So, <laughs> I mean, I feel like part like Klein's sometimes you can get a di- everything. Yeah, that, that's what sometimes you can get too much too much data, and I think sometimes the foot. I mean, for the data nerd, great, but I think for the newer runner, or the average runner, it's going to be very overwhelming. When really you go, hey, what fits comfortably on your foot? What feels good? Get running in it, get moving in it, because we know that tends to be more associated, more correlated with how's it actually going to function on your foot. So I had swamps, still a hard sell. I just I find this interesting that it's coming from the biggest data nerd on our team. I I say that as somebody <laughs> that you got to know when. When data is appropriate when it's not. That's no, the fair part. I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you. I just pissed off like tons of running stores that have never listened to us again. It's fine. No, I think no, I think no, I think our one of our I think we're all like in decent agreement here. It's just the nuance of our takes. And the perspective you bring to it buys or sells it. And it's it's just how is the data utilized? Like we know I'm not to go way off on tangents, but we know that the outcomes for people with low back pain who get imaging are worse than for those who don't. So if you have low back pain, you go get an MRI, your chance of positive outcomes in the future long term are worse than if you didn't get the MRI. Um, so like we know that data and information can actually worsen your situation. That's kind of what you're saying, Matt. And it really depends on who's coming through your door, what resources are available. And we love help working with and trying to help. That's one of our missions, trying to help running shoe stores like really do a good job with what they love to do. And the best way to do that is not through a 3D foot scanner. But if you're a consumer and you're curious and your store has one, it's free to you and it's not going to bug you one way or another and you're going to get the comfortable shoe anyway, what the heck? Like, Go let it tell you a couple shoes that you may not have thought about trying. So this is a good one. Anything else before we move on? Great. I'm going to take that as a no. So now this next one, we're going to be talking about midsoles a little bit. So a big trend that we've been seeing is the uh, introduction of different types of 
uh, foams. So we're seeing PBACs or PIBA-based foams. Um, we're seeing EVA foams that are infused with some sort of nitrogen or whatever. Um, so the buyer-sell is that we should abandon EVA and go all the way to just PBACs in our trainers, in everything because of the improved properties in terms of energy return. So buyer-sell, abandoning EVA. I'm going to go out there and say sell. I've got a couple of reasons for that. One is as these technologic uh, advances continue to grow, so does the cost of these shoes. If something's already established and easy to manufacture and is already proven to be relatively good, and that keeps the cost for shoes down, that gives the options for so many more people. So I think just for that reason alone, having EVA options are totally worth it. Uh, other reason being is... Uh, why am I blanking? I was about to go on a much larger rant there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, but some people also, just from a material standpoint, are sensitive to different kinds of materials, and it opens up the amount of options available for people. So if you're not good with soft, compliant foams and you like something a little bit firmer, such as an EVA or even a TPU midsole in some cases, by all means, you should have access to be able to run in those shoes. And I think by completely going to the PBACs and just saying this is a superior material, we're only going to use this, it's just like dancing on any extreme. I don't think it's a good move. Yeah, I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you on this and, and sell this one too. And maybe the question is too easy to like say totally abandon something. But I, I totally resonate with the idea about cost. Um, the other thing that we're seeing for the companies that are doing um, – trying to create sustainable, uh, sustainably produced shoes with different materials. They're not using PBA and PBACs. And I don't know the, the details about why those decisions are made, but um, we're seeing shoes There's come in bio-based that are... PBACs. Bio-based PBACs. Puma. How much bio-based is this? We should have Bach on here for You're this like, part. What? Isn't there like part. one, right? Is, is the Fastar the only one that uses the bio-based uh, There's a couple wrong? others. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, there's you a know? couple others. Sorry, not to interrupt. But I think, but sustainable shoes, like creating a shoe sustainably drives up cost because of the cost of production. Then if you add on there the, the PBACs, then that does too. I will say when it comes to PBACs, the one shoe that has kind of changed how I think about PBACs is the Elliott Runner, which is wicked expensive, but the one from Tracksmith, because that is a firmer flavor of PBA. Like I haven't ran in a shoe, not like rigid firm like the uh 361 flame but kind of just like a more controlled feels more traditional it doesn't really feel like like a piba shoe it feels like a normal running shoe but in theory the properties are a little bit more robust in terms of compliance and resilience so that one kind of changed my mind from like a performance aspect of like oh yeah you could have a nice training back shoe that doesn't feel totally unstable or wonky but i do think from a having an affordable shoe having ones that just feel more controlled um even though, like I just said, that you probably could achieve that with PIBA. I, I still just, I don't know. I don't see the need to abandon something that, that is still functioning and still falls in from a from what we know about injury and stiffness of shoes. You can still create quality properties through EVA um, so far. So I'm not ready to sell it yet. Or I'm not ready to buy getting rid of it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm on this in the same camp as all as both of you when it comes to like completely abandoning. I think I'm a definite sell on that that these foams all have 
their place. Do I think if you're going to create for the, I mean, for the majority of people, if you're going to create the highest level racing shoe, do you probably need to be using this? Yes. Is there going to be something probably after P-backs? Probably, right? Does that mean we should necessarily abandon it? No, unless there's something that's, it's causing like cancer or something like that. So that's, that's probably the one exception. I don't, I'm not saying that. I don't know. Um, but I think I totally agree that there are ways to still create great performance and training shoes. And there's also going to be plenty of people who may not respond to this. Now that said, Nathan brought up a good point is there are PBAX foams that you can modify the density and still make something a little bit more stable, a little bit firmer, um, that said, I think you can also do that with EVA foam for less cost. And especially in today's market, looking for things that are also affordable is really key. Because, I mean, I'll, I'll say it, as fun as these shoes are, some of the costs are just out of this world. And I say that we get a lot of shoes sent to us, so we're very fortunate, but uh, these two are going to make fun of me. I still go buy things that don't I either that don't get sent to us or at least don't think they will. I won't name anything. And then I'm sitting there like <laughs> spending several hundred dollars, like kicking myself going, oh, gosh, why did I do this? So, yeah, I know that it literally, hurts. And, and literally last literally last week, he says, look what just showed up at the same time. I got an email that said. We are sending this shoe on the way to Matt. Here's his tracking number. And it was the same shoe that he had just bought. <laughs> that did it's happen. Like, oh, that is man. a true story. <laughs> Get your patience. Also, uh, yeah. you talk about getting shoes sent to us sometime. Like, there's a reason we have these weird-looking shoe walls behind us. And it's kind of embarrassing um, but the amount of shoes that we have. But, but um, yeah, to be fair, yeah. I have bought many of these. And it's it can be quite a chunk of change, right? And a lot of times I buy that because I, I want to share this information. I want to test it. I want to share with other people. That's why this whole website that this thing started. But yeah, I think with how crazy expensive things are, we're, we're definitely in a, 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 a privileged position to be able to get a lot of this stuff and review it without, at, without paying. So I think from a cost perspective, I think it's still really important to consider a variety of foams, especially if they are cheaper, right? Because that means there's going to be more people that are going to be able to engage, get active and participate in running. So I'm definitely a hard sell on abandoning EVA, even though I sometimes give it a hard time just because it improves access, right? If we can keep costs low. Cool. All right. Our next one, buy or sell um, plated training shoes. So there's a lot of these out there. I've got a couple sitting here, everything from the Propel version four to the Deviate um, Nitro from Puma. Um, you have you know, even the, the endorphin speed three, which a little bit different categorically, you look at all the different Skechers trainers out there. Yep. The ride 11 from Skechers, you have a lot of different plated training shoes out there. Um, so buy or sell plated trainers, Matt, you want to start? Uh, Is it specifically training or can you be using like workouts? Like, can we, can we clarify the words a little bit more? We just like hard daily training. No, tell me. Hot takes only go. (laughs) I mean, a lot of those shoes I, I really like, you know, and they've been really, really good. The problem is it depends on if you start getting too stiff, that's going to be uncomfortable. Um, is the question only plated shoes like yes or no? Plated training shoes. Just the concept in general. It doesn't mean that it's replacing normal shoes. Okay, so if it's not replacing normal training shoes, then I'm a buy with a little contingency here. 
that I don't think you should be no like just like any buying shoe. things. Yeah. <laughs> Did I use that word right? That's fine. <laughs> yeah. So I think I don't I wouldn't want to be in one of these all the time personally, right? We know from the evidence one of the few things that reduces injury risk is having a variety of shoes training. And I think that means also having a variety of stimuli, right? Something stiffer, something a little flexible. Again, it depends on what you can afford. But I I don't think I would do it all the time if it's really stiff. Like I know people gave me a really hard time because I messed up the plant length in the the Deviate Nitro 2 on my review. But I wouldn't want to train in that shoe all the time. It's really stiff. Despite not having a full length plate, I found that really stiff. The magic speed is similar. I've loved doing workouts. I've loved doing some up-tempo stuff, but I wouldn't want to get all my daily training miles. So I'm I'm a buy, but I still probably wouldn't use this type of training shoe all the time, just as a warning. I agree with Matt. I'm a buy. I'm a buy because I think plates can have a place in the development of some of these shoes. Um, the one that I think of specifically for me is the Skechers Ride 11 or Go Run Ride 11, uh, which the review should be coming out very shortly, if not by the time this airs. Uh, they're using a new midsole called Hyperburst Ice. And... Um, let me pull that out here. So, I mean, it looks like a regular Hyperburst, but this foam is so much softer than the other versions of Hyperburst that have come out before this. And I find that that four-foot plate they do have actually does stabilize that four-foot a little bit for me. And I almost wish it was full length. where <laughs> It just stabilized that yeah, platform a little bit. the shoe is a little, a little unstable. Yeah, it's a little bit unstable through the heel and midfoot. Um, with that said, it's still a fun shoe to run in. I still like the shoe. But I think it's one of those shoes where I almost wish there was a plate. I mean, there is a plate, but only in the forefoot. Like, I almost wish it was longer. And so for shoes like that, I can totally see it. Imagine having the SC Trainer without a plate, right? Like, I think there's a time and place for these types of shoes. And I think it does create a variety of different stimuli for an individual to run in. Um, I normally lean towards plated options, whether it's P-backs, carbon, whatever. I usually do reserve those for more speed efforts. But for shoes like the Ride 11, that is a daily trainer. That is a shoe I like doing daily miles in if I'm on the road. And I actually like having that plate in there. It doesn't stiffen it up a whole lot because it's only a four-foot plate, so there's still some flexibility to the platform. But I almost wish that plate was even longer. So um, for that reason, I'm a buy. Yeah, I am also a buy if. <laughs> so it's a, a buy if it's done for a reason. I think that right now plates are the hot topic, even though they're the thing that do does one of the least amounts of things when it comes to performance, but it just gets called as the reason that like, oh, it's a plate, so it's going to be faster, it's going to be better. And that's just, we just know that's not the case. Um, not just from our heads, but that's they've when they study plates, plates contribute less than the other stuff not what this topic is about. So I buy the idea of a plated sh- a plated trainer if it's done for a specific reason. David, you gave a great answer. If you have a really soft midsole, I'd even put like, you know, the endorphin speed in that category. I couldn't run in the first two versions because the plate that was in it didn't stabilize that softer PBAX foam enough. They widened the plate to go out both sides of the version three. I have a great time running in the shoe now. So they put it in for a purpose, which is to stabilize the platform. Or you talked about the... Um, SC Pacer from New Balance. Trainer. They're doing it to train, or the Pacer. I feel like I could run on without a plate. Sure. Sorry. Yeah. Tr- yeah. Trainer. Sorry. Um, yeah. Like you. You just need something to stabilize it. 
I um, there are some shoes. I'm going to continue on the Skechers one. I think sometimes they throw plates into shoes that don't need plates. One of them being the Razor XS um, and the Razor XS2. They put this super flimsy plate that you can't feel anything. Thinking back, oh man, I don't even know if I remember the name of the shoe, but it was um, 361, and it was like their oh, um, the hybrid. ST and it yeah. had this plate I that you couldn't that even shoe. feel. I it remember was fine. I, was like, I couldn't, but it I couldn't feel all. the plate, but I liked the shoe. Couldn't feel the plate. <laughs> and the the Razor Elite that you couldn't feel. You said you could feel the plate, Dave, when you really pounded into the Razor Elite. But like, if a plate's just in there to be marketing, I'm a huge sell on that. I think it's got to be for the purpose of stabilizing the shoe. The other thing that I like about having like typical trainers, like um, even the the Propel. Um, having a plate with a really good amount of stiffness or the deviate is for people who have those issues with their first toe joint and they don't want to go run in like a super shoe that's really stiff and plated, but they just, they need something that prevents extension, but don't want to go get like custom orthotics that have, you know, a rigid piece under the first ray. I like having training options that are plated for people who sit in that category. That said, there are some other shoes that don't have plates that serve the same purpose, um, like the Endorphin Shift. It has enough of a four-foot rocker and has enough foam that it's pretty stiff. Um, but I do like having plated options for um, for people who who need that kind of help. That said, you do have to make sure that the rocker and everything lines up with your foot length and mechanics and all that kind of stuff and make sure that it's not working against you, but it's working with you. Um, I also like somebody asked in the beginning, if it was abandoning all normal trainers for the sake of only plated, then I wouldn't be in on that. Uh, but the fact of having them as options, I don't, I don't dislike, but it's gotta be for a purpose. And if it's not for a purpose and it's not obvious, um, uh, then I'm, I'm a sell on it, but overall I'm a buy of having surprisingly a buy at having uh <laughs> plated plated trainers out there because i i think i'm pretty skeptical of just throwing plates and everything but if it's for a purpose i i can understand why anything else i think that was great it's got to have a purpose it can work really well for people that need stiffness because we know that that it's the plates or rods or whatever you're adding it's really just a stiffening agent for the shoe and some people do really well in stiff shoes and some people don't so if you're somebody that does well on them that might be something you naturally gravitate towards versus somebody that if you do not hey this might be something you want to avoid but again it's going to vary depending on the person all right next buy or sell oh david do you have something i don't know the only thing i'd add is i wouldn't mind another pair of 361 pacer sts that's all (laughs) i think those are only going to you're only going to find those maybe on ebay yeah i know that was a short-lived shoe i actually liked that one that was they came out with one version it was one of those ones when i put it on i was like i know this is not for everybody this is definitely not for everybody but i like it i raced a five mile race in that shoe um the week before like a half marathon is kind of like a a tune-up race and i ran like six thirties, which was like my best five mile race up to that point in my life so i pr'd in that shoe once which felt pretty cool um and they and I had a half size up, so it felt huge. It was just weird. Anyway, all <laughs> yeah, right, here we go. 61 getting some love here tonight. It's <laughs> great. Taroko. That's oh, good. We, say. Tar- we do need the new Taroko. We got to get yeah. that on your feet, David. We do. Okay, the next one: buy or sell um, matching foot type or amount of dynamic pronation. So watching it in movement um, to shoe type. So this happens often again in running shoe stores where somebody might have you walk and they look at how your foot is moving and then they recommend a type of shoe based on, on watching you walk. So buy or sell that idea. So I'm a sell. I'm a sell too. I'm a sell. Even when we look at it from a 
biomechanic standpoint. Klein has quoted this many, many, many times that even if you post a shoe, no matter what you do, like the foot's going to do whatever it wants anyways. So I think taking the shoes and looking at the little details and what works for your own individual biomechanics, not because of what your pronation is, but because of how you actually respond to the shoe, I think is a much better thing to go off of that subjective feeling of what you feel, not what something is telling you. What your naked eye is telling you. Yeah, or even quantitative data for that matter. Because if if a shoe tells you that you're more efficient, but you feel like crap running in it, are you going to run in that shoe? Like, I remember, I, I forgot who it was. I want to say, I, I, I want to say it was Kenanisa Bekele, actually, who had said... You love Bekele references. I, I think it was him, but it might not be. And I really hope I'm not giving him credit for something he didn't say. But it's a great quote. <laughs> um, and it was someone was saying, make sure when you put a shoe on your feet, it's something that you are looking forward to putting on so that way you enjoy the experience of running. And you, you want to be excited to run. And if a shoe helps you get excited to do it, then like those are the shoes you want to be wearing. And just because if it's a quantitative measure and or subjective measure saying this is better for you, but you yeah. don't like it, you're not going to want to yeah. run it. Matt, do you have anything to add? Yeah, I'm, I'm a sell only because things are more complicated than this. And we've even seen, and you guys know, know this and we've all referenced this before, that it's foot type definitely does not match. So there's very good military studies where they've used huge groups of people so very power like well-powered studies using thousands of people to show that assigning shoes based on foot type is not valid at all and is not predictive of injury in fact it actually caused more problems um we also know that pronation by itself is not a good measure of injury risk there are some other things we've been able to look at like the rate of pronation as well as the ability to get out of it so those people actually fall and stay there may have some more issues, but we're not sure yet. We also know that sometimes pronation, a lot of times, is how people shock absorb. So if you take that away and that's their main method of shock absorbing and they're doing fine, you might cause them issues because they're not shock absorbing somewhere else. So I think I'm, I'm a hard sell on this only because it doesn't do justice to how your body works. There are plenty of people that pronate heavily and don't do super well in really, really, really high stability shoes. There are other people that do not pronate at all and they do super well in a rigid high posted shoe. I don't know why, but they do well and that's the shoe they've used. And when they move away from it, they get hurt. So I think it's more complicated from, from that than that. And I think looking at, again, comfort, history, if they've had a history of pronation-related injuries, though, we have good evidence that's that's something you might want to consider in terms of getting a stability shoe. But just foot type or dynamic pronation, hard sell based on many, 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 many years of literature and research on this and yep. experience. Yep, I agree. Sell. I think an uh, interesting part of our conversation with Doug Adams a couple weeks ago was his conversation of how he's trying to use his individual like 3D data with his runners. And he doesn't look at foot pronation, but he looks at global patterns of movement that may may or may not predispose you. So he's got the three and we use this, we use the same system now in our clinic at Pineries. And you know, what I would do with a runner in this scenario would be 
hey, this person has like anterior knee pain. And so we, they're like, hey, I have these two shoes. Is there one that's better for me? And so we're like, I don't know, let's check it out. So we do the 3D analysis and then we would see, hey, what's your total mechanics top to bottom? And then you run in the other shoe, what's your total mechanics top to bottom? Let's just say shoe A, you have like a, what's called tibial inclination angle of 10. And then the other one is two. You're like, hey, that's actually changes the amount of like patellofemoral loading. So yeah, shoe B, which you also like, would put you in a better position to decrease patellofemoral stresses. I would say you'd have to have that level of like specificity for the individual for looking at mechanics to help you select a shoe. You'd have to have A-B testing. You'd have to have, you know, that controlled environment. You'd have to have a specific reason that a mechanic is better for that person than another because not everyone needs to change, you know, two degrees of whatever, X, Y, or Z. You can pick any measurement. But if there's a specific history of injury or present injury, I think that's where some utility would come in. But you got to have the tools, um, which is not our naked eye. It's got to be something much more unfortunately sophisticated if only everything was easy as as looking at it so any other thoughts on this one great i'm going to take the silences we're going to move on so next buy or sell um is dual density midfold midfolds Midfolds. (laughs) dual density midsoles um so shoes with dual density midsoles there's a lot of these a lot of different kinds we have things from the tempest the super blast the wave rebellion pro the rebellion flash the topo specter the Under Armour Velocity Elite, the Fast R, the Deviate Nitro 2. Does it really? Okay. Technically, I yes. <laughs> yes, so it has okay. the Nitro Elites and then normal Nitro Foam. Yeah. Not that it so, feels like it, which I, I yeah. kind of forgot, you know. But. but the Boston, you just held it the Boston yeah, 12. Yeah, Boston 12. Like, there's, there's a lot of different dual density. And you talk, we didn't even mention a lot of the posted shoes, right? They have yeah. dual density midsoles too. There's Although so many Posted kinds. shoes are disappearing. They are. There's so many different kinds of dual density foams. Um, So buy or sell them. I'll I'll go first. I'm going to say a solid buy. Not everyone needs this, obviously. And I've actually not enjoyed this as much in racing shoes, although the Rebellion Pro actually did a a decent job. Um, Didn't enjoy it in the Under Armour Velocity Elite. I think they could have used more foam. But for a lot of shoes, I think it's great. The, The new Boston, I think, did a really good job with balancing down things out with Lightstrike Pro 2.0 and I'm sorry, the Lightstrike Pro and the Lightstrike 2.0. Um, Super Blast is another great option. People forget that there is this lower section of normal flight. I think it's Flight Foam Blast, right? I think so. And it creates some stiffness that that shoe definitely needs on the bottom without kind of getting in the way. So I think from a geometry standpoint, blast yeah, there's plus. some really cool th- yeah, Blast, thank you, Blast Plus. There's some really cool things that you can do with this stuff. I think we're still learning, so I don't want to say sell because I think if you move on, you're going to miss some opportunities of some very interesting shaping. And I think the Tempest is a great example of how you can use this to create stability in a very s- structural, like a a very unique way that probably doesn't push into people as much. And there's all there's fun stuff you can do with this. So I'm a definite buy. It just doesn't need to be every single shoe. I'm also a buy in this category um, for a lot of the reasons Matt said. I think another example that I'm a big fan of is the Topo Spectre. I like just the versatility of using two foams gives you a lot to work with. So it's Topo Spectre. They have an EVA rim 
with uh, their Piba base midsole on the inside. So you get some of that like bouncy feel, but you have this kind of cradled structured area without it being a stability shoe. Another trail shoe is the Exodus Ultra from Saucony. So you get their power on PB core, you get stuff wrapped around it. I, I, you just have a lot of versatility to do. You can just change a lot of things and tweak things and make it work a little bit differently and change geometries and change where the resistance and where it guides you. I'm a, I'm a big fan of dual density. I also really like it in the mock series um, for Hoka because I really enjoy the softness on top, but that would be too soft for me overall. So I like that. I almost like that it kind of bottoms out a little bit and you have that structured thing on the bottom similar to what they do with the super blast but i think it's more pronounced in the mock series so i'm a i'm a buy on uh on dual density kind of these multiple density midsoles david yeah i'm a buy as well i mean i take a look at all the components that make a shoe and there's just so many things that can go into creating something and it doesn't all have to come from one source i mean i kind of look at it similar to like looking at a margarita it doesn't have to be lemon, lime juice with tequila and some syrup, whatever. You know, you could throw in some blackberries. You could throw in some strawberries. You can do all these different combinations and make it still be a base and have it taste good and be enjoyable. And the combination may work better for someone and not better for another. But they might respond better to a different combination. And so um, not to compare it to food. I was originally going to compare it to tacos, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I decided to pick Every, everything is the, tacos. The guy from Santa Barbara would use margaritas and tacos <laughs> as the reference point. Just saying. But I think it's it's nice to have those two components. And I think you guys both hit it very well. And I think I love the Spectre for all the reasons you said. Um, one shoe we didn't bring up was the Audios series, having the Light Strike Pro in the forefoot and having the Light Strike in the heel. I think having that Light Strike Pro in the forefoot genuinely makes that thing more bouncy and responsive at the forefoot and makes it fun to push off of. I still need to run in the newest model. I have it. I just haven't actually had a chance to put it on and use it for a workout yet. But um, looking at the DNA of a lot of these shoes, it's nice to have some different components, whether they use it for stability, for responsiveness, for guidance, for anything. You know, it's kind of nice to actually... Or even as a layer, like we said with the Super Blast, to change your interaction with the foot and, and enhance your experience. The, uh, the one shoe that we, that's probably the most unique on the list that I just kind of rattled off is the Fast R. Because you have like pot of foam in the heel that's way firmer, EVA in the back. And then you have this like nitrogen-infused PIVA in the front. So that's a whole different philosophy and, and different kind of take on this stuff. I do think one of the other um, parts of this that does make this worth a buy in some ways too is you know with like the boston you can get some light strike pro and get night you know train in their racing foam a little bit get a flavor of it but it doesn't cost you 250 you know well i guess with adidas if you wait long enough you're going to get everything on wicked sale anyway never buy something from adidas full price <laughs> wait like three months and it's going to be half off um, audios but- pro 3 is 138 bucks right now and it's pretty sweet colorway and I just ruined myself with that purchase I talked about earlier. So if I hadn't done that, I probably would have gotten a pair of those. But I'm still <laughs> recovering from that. <laughs> yes. So I, I like that too. Um, you just get a little bit of a flavor of it without having to full buy. Okay. Um, so I shouldn't have used the term full buy because we're using a buy-sell episode. All right. But we're going to move on. Uh, we got a couple more here. Um, This one might be a little bit quicker. Not sure. Maybe not. Buy or sell shoes without a true rubber outsole. So thinking about like a rubberized EVA. Buy or sell, Matt. 
I'm I'm a sell because I will chew <laughs> through those and even the shoes that have a tiny bit of outsole, if it's in the the wrong spot, I'm just gonna rip that thing apart. So me personally, that's a hard sell. My other issue sometimes is uh, I mean, the, the, one of the bigger examples... Kinvara, wait, do they have this new version? Kinvara, yeah. I mean, they they have little... Yeah, it's still mostly exposed. Um, the Kinvara <laughs> did a good job just because it's got it's got an outsole where, they, where I would normally tear through. So this shoe actually did really well. I think I have like 50 miles on my pair in the new one, and I barely have anywhere in that spot, which is great. But I think fully exposed outsoles, I'm a hard sell because my experience with those shoes is the outsoles add to the the either the firmness or softness of these shoes and i found shoes just that don't have an outsole they bought them out and they're to me too soft but some people may like that but i'm still a, a hard sell especially from a durability standpoint with how expensive some of these get like sell no so as as someone who's much nicer to my outsoles than you are um i think this could be a buy for the right person because i personally love running in a shoe with it on the road, like running on the road only in a shoe that has a rubberized EVA. It feels so soft to land on, not like in a cushiony soft way, but it just feels like I'm not, there's not any pounding. That's what it feels like. Just, just kind of from my own experience. So um, that's why I love running in the mock series because of that rubberized EVA. I really enjoyed the carbon X two for that reason as well. Carbon X three upper was really off for me. Um, so I, I feel like for, for someone like me who does not beat up their outsoles, like I put tons of miles on both of those models that I mentioned and I had the same outsole like durability. Um, and it just felt great. Like I just really enjoyed it. It was really quiet. I think quiet is the best way to describe it. Um, so if you're like Matt sell, if you're like me buy. David, what do you think? Who's David's tiebreaker? Yeah. <laughs> dun 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 dun. Bye. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I love the Kinvara and the mock. Like, <laughs> but the, the yeah. Kinvara still has some outsole to it. I mean, it. it's there, a tiny bit. It's a, like the what the posterior hey, lateral if, heel and the anterior medial yeah, forefoot. Just the, the big I mean, toe there. Not to like, make this about me, but <laughs> just the right place. <laughs> I was. I meant like fully exposed, like no outsole. I'm, I'm for it. I'm for it. I, oh, I, I, I love it. I mean, but in the right situation, right? I love it on road situations. I agree 100 percent mm. with Nate. And here's the reason why: it's a tray. You gotta give a tray. A tray, you a shout a out tray for this is too. another one that does a rubberized EVA. Uh, yeah, but they can get away with that because the, their shoes are like way cheaper. Well, if it keeps cost down, I mean, we were talking about how expensive shoes can be earlier. I don't know. That's fair. Kinvara is cheaper <laughs> overall. Yeah, I mean, but it also has a small pot pod of outsole. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> I mean we got we always got to give a shout out for Andrea with the beacon. Um, oh yeah, I mean the, R.I.P. The, yeah, there, there's a, there's a lot of shoes out there. You know, um, I like it. I like it. I think what enhances the experience for me is actually that little bit of give, and that little bit of give creates more traction on the road if that makes sense it almost gives it a little stickiness to it where it, it compresses into the road and then that creates a little bit of traction underneath it that you can kind of pull from and there's something weirdly pleasing about running on the road with that i'll say on mm-hmm. dirt it might slip a little bit you know it's not for that it's for the road yeah, it's not for you the know? dirt but like not for the gravel trails but there have been 
a lot of, in the Carbon X2 specifically, there's been a lot of really good memories I have with long runs in that shoe on the roads. Oh, such a, such a nice shoe. Were, Just such a, oh, They ruined man. it with the three, three upper. I know. I hope they bring it back with the four. Is there going to be a four? I hope so. Is there going to be a four? I want there to be a four. Do we know? I don't know. I'd consider that another good one for the conversation on, like, training shoes with plates in them. Yeah. Um, like, I yeah. enjoy that one for long runs. And, like, the Mach was great. The Convara is great. I mean, like, and there's, there's like, a cult following for those types of shoes, right? Because they also tend to be a little bit lower in stack. They usually tend to be a little bit more flexible. They're kind of like your, quote, unquote, natural transitioning shoes sure. or feels. So, I mean, I think there is a place for them. And um, I don't choose to run all of my runs in shoes like that. But there's a, there's a time and place. And sometimes that's what I want. I thought you were going to say, I don't choose the runs to run a shoe like that, though the runs choose me. But. No, the tacos choose me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to move us forward in All this right. conversation. Our next topic, we have two left. So we got two left for tonight. The first one is buy or sell, training in super shoes. I'm going to sell. I think there's just there's just too much we don't know. I feel like this from, is like cards where like I fold, I'm done. <laughs> There's just too much we don't know. And kind of for the same things I was talking about earlier with the 40 millimeter plus stack heights and these highly compliant foams, I feel like, and again, this is anecdotal, but I feel like injury rates, at least in that foot and some of those like stabilizing type areas, whether it's that or the proximal hip, I feel like those have gone up. And the common trend for the people that I talk to tends to be these super shoes and running in them a lot. You know, and especially in areas where they're not exactly designed for, like if you're not doing them for workouts, you're not doing them for races, you're just slopping along in them or even walking in them. I was walking behind someone the other day that was wearing uh, Vaporflies out on out on State Street, and I was like, that's odd. Um, it's, I don't know, I, I I feel like there's just so much we don't know, and I feel like these things do change our mechanics and whether it's a proximal hamstring strain as well, it's another common one because of these sharp rockers that are also coming with a lot of these shoes. Um, I, I think it's one of those shoes that dances on the extreme end of things, and I'm not one for extremes, and I feel like these super shoes are definitely on one end of the extreme, and to run all of your miles in them, absolutely not for me. Nate, you want to go, go or you want me to go? I, I, mean, I guess I'll, I'll go. Yeah, you go. I, I want to be I'm sandwiched in the... Lot. Yeah. I want to be sandwiched in the middle because that's what the one you forget. So that's that's where I want to be on this conversation. So uh, my oh, I also I, I, I'm a my bad. I interpreted that as daily training in these super shoes too. If it's for work, if you're using it with intention, then it's fine. Yep, it was it was for daily training, and that's yeah. like, I was going to bring that up about you because I know you run in them a lot, but you have a purpose behind running in them, and it's not just for all. Yeah, of them. and easy I really only run fast in them. I never I never yes. slop easy miles in them. Yep. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of glad we're bringing this up, uh, just in a conversation with us because we did talk about it with, we kind of asked, uh, Jeff Burns, his thought on it. And he's kind of like, yeah, I mean, why not get the benefit from them? Um, you know, all the time. And I knew that we had more thoughts about this. So it's good to hear kind of what you're thinking. I think for me, again, it's also a sell. Uh, I agreed with David is with what David is saying in terms of what we don't know about them and the shifting of loads. I think the other part is if you are one of those people who's doing it, you have to realize the potential changes that are coming with that and what your body can tolerate. Because since it's shifting load towards and away thing from things, 
your body will adapt to the things that has more load on it and the things that has less load on it. So we saw with the minimalist movement, if you are wise with your introduction of minimalist footwear into your life, you're going to get higher bone density. You're going to get improved strength on the intrinsic foot muscles. Like those things do happen. But if you go too fast, you're going to have issues when it comes to the minimalist side. We don't have this like data set yet, but you can presume the fact that we are putting on these high rockers, which decrease plantar pressures, which decreases calf loading. You're going to have changes in the function and total composition of your calf and your foot because of using them all of the time. That means that somebody going from a quote unquote typical daily trainer down to a minimalist shoe might become you if you've been training only in super shoes. Going from a super shoe to a typical daily trainer might have the same effect on you. So you have to understand if you are a person that's doing this all the time, this might be what's happening is that you're having changes in the robust nature of your foot and calf complex. Um, and that could cause issues for you transitioning out of a shoe like that if they end up not working for you. I'm also a sell because it's just wicked expensive. <laughs> so it's just like, why do that? Um, but that that's me. Matt, what do you got? I think you both bring up great points uh, in terms of you know, Nathan talking about the fact that these are pretty aggressive. And if you try to switch out of them, your body's adapt to it. And it's going to be a little rough, right? So kind of this, that was my biggest fear is they tend to ruin other shoes, right? If you train them all the time, because your body gets used to it, right? Versus like, hey, just like using it appropriately for harder efforts, you tend to not see that kind of same thing happen, right? So we also know, as you both mentioned, that there's plenty of evidence to suggest that these do switch loading to other areas. So these are not magic shoes. They will not reduce injuries across all, all people. They're just shifting forces. They can make you feel like you're running faster. They, they, we know that they can help you hold a faster pace for longer. They don't necessarily increase your base speed, but you can hold an effort for longer. If you know how to use them, they are tools. And these things are all designed with certain runners in mind, certain paces in mind. There are shoes coming out now that are made differently where they're going, hey, we want a kind of balance of this stuff and give a, a quote racing slash training shoe that somebody could use if they're not running super fast all the time. Those are coming, right? There's there's a couple really great options out there. That said, for the true super shoes, I wouldn't do it because we just don't know enough yet. And again, they're really extreme. We've seen from Dustin Jubert's study, then a couple other ones that you don't get as much benefit from that stuff when you're running at slower speeds. You still get some, but is it worth spending 250 bucks, right? Is it worth the possible risks of instability of the, the really stiff plate mechanics? I Like David, I've had lots of people go, I don't know what, oh, wait. I guess the only thing that started right after, like right before this injury was I started training full-time in these shoes. When I was working at Casa Clean and doing my ortho residency, you know, if you got, it's right next to Claremont. You got a lot of people with very, very large income, disposable income sources. You had all these guys that just suddenly bought the Vaporfly as soon as it came out and they're training in it only. And then all of a sudden, Achilles problems, hip problems, all this kind of stuff. So they're tools. You need to use them as such. There are going to be a couple people who, hey, it's the only shoe that they can run in, and that's great, right? And it's it's helping them access the the run, being able to run. That's great, but for the majority of people, to tool not meant to be used every day. You'd be like, if you were lucky enough to have an F one Formula race car, you wouldn't take it to go grocery shopping. That's not whole. I mean, if you, no, don't do that. Yeah, 
I think, um, you know, some of the rationale on the other side of kind of the side of the fence that we're sitting on is putting yourself in a shoe like that, that decreases the amount of like fatigue that your muscles go through may allow you to actually perform or to, to train more kind of increase your training capacity. That's some of the rationale behind like people wanting to train in these shoes, but there's not that much evidence for that either. But we do want to just make sure that we, we put those ideas out there because that there are thoughts there and um, it's worth considering. Matt, what do you want to say? I think the last part, and I got to give Dave, I can't remember. I think it was David that talked about this, but probably you have to be careful with these shoes. I, you have to be careful with these shoes because oftentimes they will allow you to train harder than potentially your body can recover from. Right. So like using them for easy runs, if you're not able to control your pace and you're running too hard, you're still going to put more stress into those new areas. That stuff has to recover if you really want to get at the adequate training effect. Right. There's this thing called the compensation where super compensation where you do hard training, your fitness drops. You've got to be able to recover for it for that thing to come back up. But if you keep hammering on this stuff, your fitness is going to keep dropping. So the. The argument of, oh, I can do more hard training, I think makes sense from like a hard workout perspective. But if you're doing that all the time, I think people are forgetting what the point of easy and recovery runs are. And if you don't know how to control that, this is not a shoe you should be using all the time. Yeah, totally. All right. Our last buy or sell of the evening, super shoes for short distances buy them or sell them so instead of like a marathon racing shoe we're talking about things like the fast forward the takumi sen the sc pacer the sinister um there might be others but what do you guys think and i'm gonna i'm gonna abstain from this one because i haven't tested any of those i ran in the sc pacer a little bit um so i guess i tested that one but I don't, I don't race that much like this. So I want to hear, I want to hear y'all's thoughts. Buy or sell these super shoes for short distances. Buy. Absolutely. That's a hard buy. And it kind of comes down to some of the answers that I was saying earlier, but A, it gives more options to people. Not everyone likes these high stack, rockered, highly compliant shoes. Also, taking a look at course topography and things like that, short distances are usually courses that have turns. They're usually courses that may or may not have different kinds of terrain, whether it be dirt or grass, i.e. cross country, Uh, or there's a lot of left turns in track. And some people don't do well in some of these high stack shoes. Like there's just certain shoes that are out there like, and this doesn't mean they're a bad shoe by any means. And actually the Vaporfly is one of them. I have a hard time on the track in Vaporflies. SC Elite, I have a hard time on the track in those. There's a few shoes that are just a little too pillowy and for whatever reason, when I turn into them, I, I don't like them as much. Now, if it's a turn here and there, like on a half marathon course and the pace is slower, then it's, it's fine. But we're talking 5K, 10K, even road mile type situations here. And so shoes like the Takumi, great at cornering. Shoes like the Sinister from Saucony, great at cornering. SC Pacer, very grounded. And it's like you can kind of pick and choose where you're putting your feet and... Um, yeah it's it's a buy it's a it's a buy but there's there is nuances to that as well you know depending on the race and what the course looks like i might choose a vaporfly i might choose um a puma fast r i did choose a puma fast r for a 10k last year um so it's not to say that it replaces them and that i would always choose a shorter distance racing shoe over a longer distance racing shoe in a short distance racing situation 
But I think there is certainly a time and place, especially on the track, especially when there's a lot of corners and especially when the footing is different. Can I pose you a question? Go for it. So let's say you're somebody who races marathons, but also races shorter distance, like a 5K, 10K. Would you... I don't know. Is it worth buying both? I guess is my question. Like buy your marathon racer and then also buy your short distance racer or, or not. And I, part of yeah. me to also, you can answer that. I have another question, but you should answer that one first. I imagine if you're asking this question to yourself, you have some experience racing. It, it implies that you've run these distances before and you're looking at a decision of like, okay, should I actually have two different shoes or should I just have one? And yeah, with that said, I think it just depends on what you want out of your shoe. If you like the shoe that you're running in and you don't mind being in a higher stack height shoe for a 5K, then go for it. Only have one shoe. That's kind of what the Vaporfly was meant to be, was that versatile, all-distance type racing shoe. Um, there's other ones out there. It's not just the Vaporfly. you know. And that's why a lot of these shoes are getting down into the 6-7 ounce range. I put the Endorphin Pro 3 in that category. I put... Um, and that's why you're seeing a lot of them too. Like a lot of these companies are making two different options, even in the long distance racing categories. And one is kind of like your quote unquote true marathoner. And the other one is like their verse, more versatile option. Uh, so I, I think it just depends on what the person likes. And there's a difference too, as well. Like some people might really like lightweight, nimble shoes for five K's and 10 K's and not like that at all for longer distances. And what they prefer on their feet for those given distances might be different from each other. And if that is the case, then you probably should have two. But if you don't mind and you actually like the way it feels regardless of the distance, then just have one. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with just having one. Yeah. I know I said I was going to abstain from this question, but I think I'll actually, I'll actually jump in and just join the, join the conversation. And I think I'm going to, I'm going to also say bye, but it's really a bye if um, kind of, it really depends on who you are. If you're like me and you're someone who's who enjoys running a marathon every couple of years and then races a half marathon every once in a while, um, I, I would probably just buy the one shoe. Buy the one that I'm going to like to run my marathon in and put up with it with my short distance stuff. I don't run a lot of workouts on the track. I don't run a lot of those kinds of things. I'm, just, I'm more of like this just like recreational enjoying enjoying running trying to get faster i'm gonna buy the one shoe that's gonna get me marathon but also can go fast enough for a 5k also in line with um dust i know dustin jobert's kind of take on this is like hey it's the shoe that's most economical for you you should run in that for all distances i also agree with you david on the like what's the course what's the goal what do you like those things matter i think just as much as the running economy especially with the dividends that pay out over the course of a marathon versus the smaller dividends over the course of a 5k in terms of running economy so i see both sides of it for someone like me i'm probably selling this but not because they shouldn't exist but because i'm not going to buy both i'm going to buy one for myself but i do like that they both exist for having the variety so i buy it and i buy it in that sense matt what do you got what's your take on this buy or sell Ooh. Um, I'm a buy because I think variability is important. I think there's still a lot of people who don't necessarily like the super high stack shoes. And I'm seeing people race a marathon in the Takumi Sen, right? Which was actually its original purpose, right? Was even back in the day when it was much thinner, 
was as a marathon racing shoe over in Japan. So, and that's exactly why I tried to grab the original pairs and I actually still have a pair of the original. Um, that said, I, I agree with you that if you can just choose one shoe, I mean, I personally would probably choose the higher stack option. That said, some of the stuff's really fun. It's re- feels better on track stuff. I'm doing really, really fast efforts. So I'm going to, I'm saying by, again, assuming that we're talking about each tool probably needs to match exactly what you're doing and not everyone may like the super high stack, which is totally fine. I do think the majority of people are going to buy that because they are the most comfortable. But for those people that want to run really fast and they want the lightest possible thing and stuff, getting back under at or under six ounces, you know, I think that's, you know, I think it's going to be a buy. Yep. Like I said, I'm I'm a buy for their existence. I buy for their existence only by if it makes sense for where you're at in your running goals and everything like that and your preferences. That said, I think this shoe still needs to be appropriate, right? So if you've got a supposed 5K, 10K shoe and it's heavier or the same weight as some of the marathon shoes, we got to have a conversation because I don't think that's appropriate and that's definitely going to be a a sell. Um, So I think it has to give you a reason. It's got to be light enough while still maintaining some cushion to not overlap with the marathon stuff. Great. Well, everyone, thank you so much for joining us for our first buy or sell episode. What we want to hear from you is your takes on some of these as well. So I know we had our subjective, but I'm sure people have thoughts and you may disagree with us. And I think that's what fosters really good conversation. What we also want to do is if there are things that you want us to talk about in terms of buy or sell, let us know. We're going to add them to a list and we'll start putting together future episodes in this realm. So again, thank you all for joining us and we hope you have a great rest of your day. 